Good afternoon. You're listening to Hot Dish Radio on Co-op 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Miriam Parker, and that was Bijou Baton, Wanna Be Loved, a favorite from one of my guests, Chef Tavelle Bristol-Joseph. He is the co-owner and pastry chef of five wonderful restaurants, Emmer and Rye, Henbit, Tel Aviv, Kalimoto, and Hestia. Recently, he was inducted into a, a new club, Food & Wine's Best New Chef for 2020. He is the first pastry chef with that honor. That is typical for a man who is always breaking the rules. Chef, thank you so much for being here. Right, thank you very much. That was a very nice introduction. Can you share a little bit about your journey? How did you get here? I was born in South America, Duratron, Guyana. Um, moved to the United States when I was uh, 17 years old. Moved to be with my mom, Deborah Bristow. Um, she's definitely this amazing woman that actually helped me to change my perspective on life. Then I went to the New York Restaurant School for Pastry Arts. Worked in the city for a bit. I worked at the River Cafe. I worked at the W in Times Square. I worked at Greyburn. And then I moved to Arizona, um, where I spent five years working as a pastry chef at one point, general manager at one point, a corporate chef at another point. Me and my business partner, we moved here to Austin. It's going on about five years ago, where we opened up Emmer and Rye. And then we followed with Henbit. Then we did TLV, Israeli street food. Then we opened up Hestia, which is our modern grill. And then Kalimocho, which is our Basque country-influenced cocktails and bar. When you opened up Emirate, I mean, that's really a, a very special restaurant in the sense that y'all, I would call it, would you call it like hyper like sourcing, like you really focus on yes. not only like sourcing from Texas, but also in a very close parameter around the restaurant. Yes, yes, absolutely. Honestly, it was, you know, the idea of taking it back to the source, right? Because we knew that Farm to Table has been around for a while and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of restaurants are doing Farm to Table concepts, but we wanted to take it a little further because we realized the food system was broken and we wanted to change how we operate in that system. So being able to be connected directly to your farmers and your ranchers and buying from them and designing your menu around what's in season, what they're growing at the time, that was really special, we felt, and needed to be explored more. And milling of the first grains came from that because it was more of we want as much nutrients in the product that we're going to be serving. So if we're cooking with flour, if we're cooking with spices, we want to make sure that we're getting the best quality product that we can. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to go outside of your city or you have to, you know, get it all the way from a different country. It just means that you got to seek out the product that your community have and have to offer, the land around you, what does that have to offer, and then utilize it in the best way possible. And also we think that that's good for you too. It's good for the environment to be able to find and know where your food comes from and make it delicious at the same time. Were you always passionate about local sourcing or were you inspired when you came to Austin and saw that we had a very kind of robust food community here? Honestly, I had a sense of it in Arizona. Kevin 
he actually introduced me to it. You want all the amazing fruits and vegetables that you can possibly get to make the best desserts you can make. And you don't really think too much about it when you come to that creative side. I grew up in South America, so I understood the value and I understood how important it was. But I should say I, I changed my perspective as I continued to create. When we moved to Austin, we kind of dug even deeper into it. But that was something that was influenced by my business partner. He kind of had that idea. I'll, I'll share a little story about how I met you for the first time. Back when y'all did a tasting before you opened up Emmer and Rye, and I remember the whole demo where Kevin shows like the milling of the grain. But I think what really surprised me was you. You came out and you were presenting the dessert, and I think it was the cheesecake with the tris leches, and you were describing how you came up with the dessert, and you went into a lot of detail. The most memorable part of that you going through that dessert was talking about the cheese, the cream cheese part, and yeah. that you. Yeah. yeah. We're talking about how you had to create it from scratch and figure that out and how you had to age it. Yeah. And, I, and I think it was a true testament for how you look at dessert. You know, you look at it not necessarily as a whole. You look at it as part. And that is, yeah. that, see that in everything that you do. So can you share a little bit more about that inspiration? There's different areas and spaces in which you can create. That's why I try my best to surround myself with creative people. So there's always, in our environment, in our restaurant group, there's always something that someone is doing. And because we are, all, we are constantly stretching those boundaries of zero waste as much as we can, we're always going to be thinking about what can I use this in after I finish using in this application? If there's anything left over, what can I do? There's always that push and that drive to create from a perspective of utilizing byproducts. That's one aspect in which I create. And then the other is being open-minded and coming with an emotional outlook on, on what I want to do. So it starts with tasting something or seeing something and being intrigued based upon looking at it and getting that emotional rush that makes you either happy or inquisitive, one of the two. When I feel that way, then I want to follow it out to the end. I don't want anything to kind of stand in my way, so I just go into this creative mode of, like, tasting and digging deeper in figuring out what can I do with this product or, or how can I show everyone and figure out what can I make to showcase this emotional feeling that I had when I saw it. Right. Well, when I was preparing for this, I was reading a lot of your interviews and listening to all the podcasts you did. And one of the things that stood out for me was your drive to not only create from an emotional perspective and a personal perspective, but that you wanted people to respond to your desserts the same way. Can you explain a little bit what drives you? Why do you want people to react the way they do by having your desserts? Because I create from an emotional perspective, it means that I'm more passionate I take it a little bit more personal than most. My goal is never to just create something that tastes good um, because I think that I've passed that stage in my life. Now, mm -hmm. I think I'm in this place in which I want to create something that takes you on a journey that triggers something a little bit more emotional because anybody can make good food and make food taste good if you add the right ingredients. But not every dish can take you on an emotional journey. 
and it could be something simple as a brownie to something comp complicated like an aerated cheesecake, right? You have to definitely try to incorporate those aspects, I think, in food to make it memorable. Because if someone asks you what you had to eat two weeks ago for lunch, you probably don't remember. But if I ask you about what emotion and what was that emotion two weeks ago, I'm sure if you take a second, you can figure that out. And that's what you want to capture more than just making good food that tastes great. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned cheesecake again, because obviously you have an obsession with cheesecake. And when we take when we talk about emotional responses, I know that I have emotional response from your Basque cheesecake that you have at Kalimoto. I don't think I've ever <laughs> had a cheesecake like that before. And then when you post a recipe from Food & Wine Magazine, I tell myself all the time, Marion, you cannot make that. You cannot be trusted to have that <laughs> because it's so That's good funny. and it's just incredible. And so is it something that, you know, because it's such a favorite of yours that you, you always want to try to maybe incorporate it in some of the restaurants that you have, and, but in a different way that's like really unique for yeah. that restaurant? Yeah. Well, the cheesecake is my absolute favorite dessert, right? I so I'm always thinking about different ways on how I can make cheesecake better. Even the recipe, I have a really good recipe right now. And every time I make it, I always try to make it better. I always try to add a different flavor profile in it. I always try to just experiment as much. And I've actually gotten to 150 different flavors that I've ever made in my life. So I take my cheesecake very seriously. Um, <laughs> with wow. uh, the Basque cheesecake, got this Basque country concept for this bar. And our other business partner, Ren, he was like, hey, like, I had this cheesecake before. I was amazing. It's this burnt cheesecake. And he kind of went into the explanation. And also Kevin was like, oh, yeah, I've had it. And it was this. And, and so I'm sitting there. I've never been to Spain, right? I've never had it before either. I've only had New York style cheesecake and a few ricotta cheesecake. So I knew that I was in a place where I was uncomfortable, right? Because there was something they were talking about that I had no clue about. But I love those uncomfortable places because then I get quiet and I'm actually listening to every single thing that they're saying. And and I'm listening and I'm like, yeah, tell me more. Like, what, what about it was... So the re- why I was doing that was, like, I wanted to not only capture the recipe, because I know we could, with enough time we can figure out the recipe, but how do I capture the emotion and what they're talking about? Because, again, I create from that place. Then I listen to everything that they said, and then I try to create something that represented that as best as I could. So we just so when I went to work, I'm making all these different, and I changed the recipe because the recipe, I'm using the recipe based on, how they were describing a specific texture or flavor or whatever it may be. And when I created this recipe and we finally got to it, which I probably went to like 15 to 20, when we got to this one and we made it and everyone tried it, both business partners and other close friends of ours was like, this is, this is really good. This is it. So it was really special to hit, Every single person that was sitting at that table hit their expectations on what they loved about it. And then me being able to hit the expectation that I had, which was really low, 
um, <laughs> of what it should taste like. And because of that, I knew I had a good prop. Yeah. On the other side We're going to be shipping it from places. You, you're shipping it? I'm thinking about oh shipping God. it. So we're probably going to bake them and then try to ship them out to, you know, kind of kind of do it more on the retail level. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing. On the other side of the bar in Kalimoto, there's Hestia. And in Hestia, you also made a very special dessert. And it's, it's incredible because I don't think I've ever had anything like it. But it's also because I've never been to Japan. It's an ice cream center, from what I remember. And then it has, like, that shaved ice on top. So you're talking about the category, um, yes. which I actually, I just switched that over Kalimocho. So now you can get that shaved ice dessert on the Kalimocho menu. That dessert basically was inspired from a trip to Japan. We just went out there for vacation and, and a little bit. Well, we're never really vacationing. You're always looking for stuff. So we just went to Japan vacation, but kind of business. It was this dessert that was like, they had these shops, right? Just like they have the snow cone shops that, you know, that you would find throughout the Caribbean and even a little in the United States. It's, this, it's just this little spot that is serving shaved ice and a ton of different flavors. And they didn't rip, they didn't have the ice cream in the center. They, they would put like, you know, beans. Um, that's really big in Japan. And they would do like lychee or, or preserved plums and things of that nature. I was just intrigued by it because it was so light and airy. It was different from any snow cone or shaved ice I've had before um, because the machine just lightly shaved. It was like snowflake. Take a spoonful and it totally melts away. And I was just like, man, like, why is this not in America? This is something so special. And it, it again, that emotional journey and that unexpectedness that you get where you're just like surprised. It tastes so great and it just um, melts so beautifully. So in back, we, we're still working through the Hestia concept. And um, I knew that I wanted to do all the desserts kind of anti-grill um, because the hot side normally use a grill to do things and in pastry we go anti-grill we want to make everything cold so i i I thought that was a perfect fit for this concept um because we have that 20 foot hearth and it's a modern grill how do i create a dessert that actually cools you down after all the flames so that was like fit into that and with the ice cream in the center that that was a combination of basically there's this thing called respados that I used to get every time I go to the mall when I lived in Arizona. And it's like shaved ice with a scoop of vanilla ice cream. That whole dessert is like a combination of two different inspirations into one. Wow. 